Asset Radio. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Keelguard Studios. Aaron, I got to admit, I got the jitters. I'm fired up, dude. Big week. Coffee? Big week. It's not necessarily oh, okay. coffee. Okay. I think it's the uh, prospects of bass. <laughs> That's why I got the jitters. So I'm excited nice. about fishing a tournament, but I'm really excited about a new episode. Here we go, brother. We got uh, episode 346, February 15. Hope you all got a chance to play the full rendition of the LL Cool J hip-hop love song last night. And uh, hopefully it took you to a good place, and now you are all set, ready to go to get your fish on for 2021. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm sure that that's what everybody did before they strapped their kill switch <laughs> on this morning. And, uh, you know, but hey, I must mention before we keep this thing moving, because we have a packed episode uh, coming up, but certainly the episodes would not be possible without our great partners. And one that has been there from day one is MegaWare KeelGuard. Make sure, check out all of their products, KeelGuard.com, do-it-yourself keel protector, the Skag Guard, Battery Guard, Scuff Buster, so many things to pick from. Plus, they have a cool line of apparel, of which I must mention, at some point in time, I know we mentioned this several episodes ago, but we are still running uh, the Bass Edge co-branded Keelguard MegaWare apparel that will be coming out, and we will keep you posted on that. But, uh, Kurt, let's get after it. Dude, I'm looking forward to it. Let's do this launch right now. Y'all stay tuned. We're going to launch into this episode of Bass Edge Radio. We'll be right back. This episode's ProtectTheHarvest.com Tackle Tip with BASS Elite Series Pro, Jason Christie. Hey guys, it's Jason Christie here, and I love to fish uh, the pre-spawn, as most people know. One of my favorite baits is the Booyah half-ounce spinnerbait. I like throwing it on a 610 medium-heavy Falcon head-turner rod and a loose hypermag 5.6 to 6.8 gear ratio uh, reel. The trick is, is I hunt for stained water. I love Colorado blades in that stain slash pre-spawn time. And, uh, you know, you just throw it past a visible target, slow roll it in, change up your retrieve, and let the fish tell you what you need to do. Perfect, Jason. Awesome tip. Thanks for sharing that with our segment from protecttheharvest.com. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Live Well, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Aaron, 
deep breath, right? Good opening. Yet, dude, we're on a clock, brother. I mean, we're lucky to squeeze this episode in. You're headed to uh, Colorado. You know, I mean, John Denver, Rocky Mountain High. Yes, sir. Love that song. Yes, sir. Love that song. So, and and I'm sitting down here in Florida, ready to do some fishing. So uh, we got a lot going on today. And as typical with Bass Edge, you know, we're, we're going to kick off an episode here with a guy that uh, crushed it last year. He's got some mental ideas. Uh, I say mental. He's not mental. He's got some ideas <laughs> that, that helps him be successful out there uh, with mental strategy, which parlays into one of our things that we've got going on, on the website that everybody needs to know about. Yeah. And again, Kurt, the younger guys are just fascinating. I look forward to every episode that we have, but you know, he certainly leans heavily on that mental piece. Like you mentioned, you know, certainly everybody is familiar with those that have been following Bass Edge. Dr. Jay McNamara had his first book that came out and then now his uh, revised edition just recently came out and hopefully we're going to spend some time on that. But I just want to remind everybody there are two separate books that Dr. Jay McNamara, The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing on Bass Edge website. So make sure when you are clicking on that one, those copies that we have left of the first edition that is paired with some Bass Edge DVDs for a reduced price. But the new one is a standalone and it does say revise, but um, certainly if you have not had the opportunity, be sure and check that out. Kurt, you know, on your day off, kind of right out of Jay's book, what are you spending your time doing? I mean, how do you mentally prep or physically prep, I should say, yeah. to get ready for tomorrow? Yeah, well, you know, physically it's, you know, make sure every, all the ducks are in the row, lines tight, knots, you know, impeccably completed and lures ready to rock and roll and, and typical stuff as far as, you know, having a game plan, maybe a, an option or two that hasn't been going on, but I'm definitely paying attention to the weather. And really that's where, you know, some of this mental stuff comes in. You know, I want to visualize what it's going to be so, like out there on the water sure, tomorrow. Sure. Are and, you likely, uh, you know, let's, let's use an analogy, the, the sure. downhill skier that, you know, is at the top of the slope and he's got his eyes closed and he's, you know, kind of going through the turns, you know, are, are you playing that in your head on a continuous tape of, okay, if it's cloudy, these are the spots that I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. If it's it's bright, sunny, if it's wind, or are you more or less just kind of trying to stay relaxed and stop the brain chatter? Yeah. So I want to keep my brain chatter going, honestly. I, you know, I, I don't want to just be numb, you know, the day before the event. I want to keep thinking, keep that thought process going. What are different variables? And and like you mentioned, you know, and, and like I, I talked about, you know, kind of visualization. So what are other options? If A doesn't work, what's B, what's C? What are some potentials based on what I saw in practice that I could utilize? You know, maybe Maybe I'm flipping, pitching, could be cloudy, uh, different situation for the days ahead. I mean, you know, you're talking about a multi-day event. So I'm looking at the weather, seeing where things are headed and taking all the variables that can happen into account with different presentations, mostly, Aaron. I want to tie on uh, a couple of things that I haven't maybe necessarily been catching them on, but I know is good for the situations or the the environment that that I'm fishing and, and have noticed in practice, right? So that's kind of what my off day consists of. And, you know, anticipation's high, man. Always first event of the season. I'm jacked up. I'm excited, but I want to keep that thought process going and kind of go through the similar things that Jay talked talks about in his book as far as that mental preparation. Yep, uh, yep. If you go numb, you're going to fish numb. And, and, you, sure. and, and you've got to keep thinking about how to keep a positive mental attitude, uh, even if environmental change situations change and what you were doing yesterday or the day before doesn't come into play tomorrow, 
Still got to believe you're going to figure it out and, and you're going to catch them. No doubt. I will. Uh, I look forward to it. I can't wait for it to start for you. I'm going to be rooting for you from uh, 12,000 feet on the hard water instead of the soft <laughs> water. But uh, go out there, get it done. Appreciate you carving out time for us to get this episode in. And it should be a good one. Yeah, man. It's going to be a great one. You'll hear in the intro. You, you probably saw it in the title. But if you're just logging in, you're not sure. You're listening on the way to work or you're listening on the way to your next event. You're listening on the way to the lake. we got a great lesson in lowland reservoirs and breaking down the fishing pre-spawn time frame with Patrick Walters. Y'all stay tuned. It's coming right up. I am BASS Elite Series Pro Chad Pipkins. This is Bassmaster Classic Champion Casey Ashley. I am Marcus Sakura, FLW All-American Champion. This is FLW Tour Champion JT Kenny. And be sure to stay tuned right here to Bass Edge Radio. know the importance of protecting your investments so why use anything else other than the original and toughest diy keel protector for your boat megaware keel guard grinding sand abrasive rocks and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology megaware keel guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. I got to tell you, the hits keep on hitting. You know, 2020 is long gone, but this episode today, we definitely have an angler that was arguably the hottest on any tour last year. Today in our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight segment of the show, check out these numbers, Aaron. Between the BASS Elite Series and the BASS Open, this gentleman grossed over $260,000 last year in winnings. Man, I'm stoked for this interview. Bass Edge Radio welcomes BASS Elite Series angler Patrick Walters. Thanks for being on the show today, Patrick. Guys, thank you for having me, Kurt, Aaron. I'm, it's a pleasure to be here. And I got to honestly tell you, congratulations, guys. Episode 346. You guys are doing something right. Thank you guys for having me this morning. Well, uh, we certainly appreciate it. And Patrick, what that says to me is that, uh, again, Kurt and I are getting old. So uh, I, gu- I guess that's a uh, can be taken both ways. But, you know, like like Kurt mentioned, I mean, uh, you know, what a year. You, I, I think it's easy to say that, you know, you hit a stride last year. And certainly Uncle Sam's going to be loving you come April 15th. But you have been consistent since you came out of a successful college angling career in 2018. Are you feeling more comfortable in finding out kind of who you are as an angler? I think so. I think the biggest thing in fishing is you got to trust yourself. You got to trust your instincts. To do that, you got to fish as much as possible. Um, and that's what I've always tried to do is just stay busy, stay fishing tournaments. That's why I fish the elites, fish the, blessed to fish the elites where I qualified in 18, but um, really stay busy. You got to stay in tune with the fish. You got to let the fish do the talking. And I think now over the past couple of years, I really think the little bit of practice helps you trust your instincts more where you're not sitting on two weeks of like, man, you know, where a lot of times you go like a 
Mexico Coast event or an open, you can practice for however long you want to. I still show up with two or three days of practice and uh, just kind of let the tournament naturally progress. And I think it helps. I, I really think it does. Patrick, how does that work with your mindset going into these events? Obviously, you know, you had a great college career and actually early in your college career was kind of that pinnacle as far as uh, doing very, very well. And then, you know, you still had a great career your last several years in college. Then you started into, you know, the Opens, qualified really quickly, then obviously moved into the Elite Series after qualifying for that. You know, overall, do you see your perspective changing when you hit the water for actual tournament day? I think a lot of anglers struggle with that and maybe they get too amped up or or maybe, quite frankly, they're not amped up enough because they're worried about what happened in those practice days previously. How has your mental mindset come about once you launch that boat on tournament morning and how has it changed for you over the last five or six years? Uh, I think just the mental confidence in myself, especially as an angler, um, we can all cast good. You know, we all got the right equipment um it's not that side of it anymore it's all mental and honestly it's hard to find that happy medium like you're saying of being amped up but not being too amped but uh boats don't have rear view mirrors so i keep the foot on the gas and i'm always going forward not stopping i'm gonna let the fish do the talking i don't care about what happened yesterday or the day before Uh, if i had 15 bites here or there you know i'm gonna go check that when i mean you have to let the fish do the talking where you pull up you get bit or you don't get bit um, you can kind of get a sense of what kind of what the weather conditions are that day. There's always fish biting. You just got to go find where they're biting at. You know, they're always biting on the lake. So I feel like you got to cover as much water. But having that middle confidence that I'm going to catch them at some point. I don't know when or where it's going to happen or what the pattern is going to be. It may be something I've never even thought of yet. But at some point in that day, in those eight hours, I will stumble across the fish. You just have to have that confidence and then just keep trying everything until it happens. And it doesn't always happen. <laughs> right. You have that confidence. When I'm going to run into them. You just got to keep your foot on the gas. It's like that song, Aaron. Who sang that song? This is back, you know, back in the day. Don't stop believing, right? Don't stop believing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't yeah. start singing. You, you can't, can't start, start singing. singing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Patrick. I gotta say, it, it seems, uh, you know, we've and we've covered this a lot over the last four or five episodes. It seems like we can't stop talking about, you know, electronics, live scope. Uh, new live target coming out, you know, all, all the things, the hummingbird, you know, just so many different aspects of electronics, really exploiting new ways to catch fish in the game and the technology. A lot of youth is really taking the stride in this process, right? And you're one of them. You know, you caught the heck out of them this year at Hartwell using those types of uh, technology. Obviously, Fork was probably the biggest show that you put on this year and using that technology. And, and one of many shows, I would say, as far as as you know, guys using that forward-looking uh, sonar equipment. What is your take on how you would help the middle-aged or veteran of bass fishing get more in tune with that concept? And actually, I, I got to say, just get out of the old man rut of, well, I'm not going to do something different or whatever. What would you say to those guys, and, and what has helped you process and exploiting that technology? You know, Santee Cooper is my home lake, and Kurt, that's a great question. And to really wrap your head around kind of the technology scheme and what it's progressing to, the best way I can put it is the youth is definitely adapting to it a little bit quicker. But even for the older generation, the veterans, how I've coped with the technology itself is in forward-facing sonar is I grew up on Santee Cooper, three feet of water 
used to be deep for me. I'm telling you, if I got deeper than three feet, I'm like, oh man, we're getting we're getting out of my realm a little bit, you know. You were the I classic mean, just, like if your the- if your rod can't touch the bottom kind of guy, right? Hundred <laughs> percent, and that's how it. That's how I've been my entire life growing up. Um, and the more you travel, you see different bodies of water. You just kind of see fish migration a little bit. You try to learn their habits. But uh, bait awareness is 100% the biggest thing. And I think that's why we all fish shallow is because when we throw that spinnerbait up there, we're watching it the whole time. When we throw that wacky worm on the tree, when we're flipping a jig, we love doing it in shallow water because we have that bait awareness. When we twitch the rod tip one time, we see exactly what the bait does. We know where it's at in the water column, what the bait is doing. And that's why we love fishing shallow. We love to watch the fish eat the bait. You're interacting a lot more with your bait that you feel like. But now that's exactly what technology is allowing us to do with forward-facing sonar and 360 when you combine all of them, you still have that bait awareness because you can still see your bait. I'm telling you, I used to hate fishing deep. This is not a joke. It's a funny story. When I said I used to, <laughs> if I was getting deeper than three foot of water, it was deep. Well, growing up as a kid, I thought bass could not literally swim deeper than 15 foot of water. Like, no <laughs> joke. I, I thought once they went deeper than 15 foot of water, they just died. But so needless cool. to say, I have learned a lot since, and I've caught them in 70 foot of water on the bottom. But um, having that bait awareness with the technology, using it for those purposes, not just, oh, what kind of species of fish is that? You know, it's let the slowly progress into the technology. You know, don't put it on your boat and think it's a cure-all. It takes a lot of time to learn it and to play with it. But being able to kind of see where your bait's at, how far is it in the water column, how are the fish reacting? And the biggest thing, in my opinion, that forward-facing sonar does for us as fishermen is it doesn't just show us where our bait's at or help us put that bait in front of that fish or see where that piece of structure's at. It helps us learn fish behavior. This is going to be what's going to follow for the next couple of years of what we're going to learn from this. I'm telling you, I have learned so much in the past two years of just how much fish swim, how much they suspend. We all know they have fins and a tail. We always thought they'd be sitting on a dock or on a tree or something, but them suckers are swimming 24-7. And it's taught me that when you pull up on a bank or something and you catch them real good cranking, you know, pre-spawn, and then you come back the next day and you don't catch anything, you're like, oh, man, they're not biting or something. No, they're probably a thousand yards down the bank. You just got to go (laughs) find them again. And that's something you just got to keep your foot on the gas. It teaches you what the fish are doing and why sometimes that's the biggest question why great visual man awesome awesome feedback i I like where this is heading i mean we're talking about mental prep you know mental awareness patrick of course you know dr j mcnamara the psychology of exceptional fishing with his new book i mean he dives off into it even on deeper level and i'll be honest you know call a spade a spade just say that us old guys you know we get stuck in our ways and aren't open to uh necessarily embracing the the technology as much and uh you know whereas a person like yourself that's perhaps maybe what you came right out of school we had cody huff on uh, a few episodes ago and he didn't even own a fish locator uh finder whatever you want to call the technology these days you know until he was in college but i think growing up with that and having that as part of your steep learning curve it does become second nature and so i, I love your your insight on that but you bring up santee cooper and, and shallow water if it's possible you know i guess you technically reside in somerville south carolina i know you're probably not there much given your skill Low country, lots of swamps, gators, but you're very successful also on highland and blueback impoundments. How has the success on more or less those diversified waters become a, a staple, I guess, of, of your angler identity? 
Well, I think, you know, the Carolinas are notorious for blueback herring fisheries. Um, and Santee Cooper actually has blueback herring in it as well. That blueback bite is definitely not as predominant as other bodies of water. The water is a little too tannic for it to excel in it to be a great schooling bite. Mm-hmm. But um, I fished my first ever bass tournament on Lake Murray. I went to college in Columbia. The University of South Carolina was right there on Lake Murray. Um, I've spent a lot of time up there, spent a lot of time at Lake Hartwell. Um, you know, growing up, we fished the Fishers of Men, the CBC, the Carolina Bass Challenge, Carolina Angler Team Trail. And we traveled around the state. And I think that's what really helped me be versatile was I wasn't just fishing my home pond. I was traveling to the upstate. I was fishing Hartwell, um, fishing Watery, fishing Clarks Hill, fishing those herring lakes. And man, who doesn't love catching school and fish? I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. If they're schooling and you're burning a bait across the water as fast as you can, it doesn't get much better than that. But just fishing up there in the past, fishing for herring fish like that, I mean, they are pelagic and they truly do swim a bunch and just learning their behaviors. It just taught me kind of always go look for them schooling somewhere because if you can find them and get good yeah that means generally means there's a bunch of them right in there and they're ready to eat absolutely and, uh, you, you're exactly right when you see those fish bust especially on those blue back lakes when it gets right and and you know those blue backs are running across a long flat point it just turns into boiling water it's a lot of fun man it's it's a cool thing to see i've, I've been able to experience that a few times uh, hopefully i can experience it a few more uh we, we actually have a tournament this year on the uh mlf pro circuit up there there at, at Murray and uh, it might be a little early in the year for the Bluebacks to really be jamming. We're, we're going to be there, I think at the end of April, but uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Ooh, to be up there anyway. Yeah. You never know, right? You never know. Yeah, if you do but, go look at statistics, <laughs> we won the national championship in 2015. It was in the April. You can okay, read the report. All right. Well, I'll, I'll have to go That'll back and look up. Some, I'll have to go back and look some of that up. That's, that's awesome. Um, but uh, you got to, and, and when you're thinking about just schooling fish, sometimes you have to break it down and throw different baits to kind of really trigger them because they get so bait oriented on yes. the size of the bait and conditioned that you really have to match the hatch. But then you think about it, it's like you could be going down the bank flipping a trick worm at tree branches, you know, it's like, right. oh, you can be throwing this fluke across the point and they're just coming up busted. It's yeah. hard to turn down. No doubt about it. Great point talking about flipping tree branches. Um, obviously, you could do that at Murray, uh, maybe not as much wood at Murray, obviously, than there is at your old home pond there and uh, still your home lake, I assume, Santee Cooper. Let's talk a little bit about approaches to lowland impoundments during spring months. You know, probably one of the hardest things to identify is kind of pre-spawn locations and hangouts, you know, kind of, it seems a little bit easier, at least from my perspective and maybe from some other anglers perspective out there listening to the show. But, um, you know, if you see a deep bend or, you know, a point leading into a pocket, you know, before a nice spawning bay in the flat in the back, you know, kind of easy to choose, you know, where a fish might hang out pre-spawn and stage before actually going to bed. Not as easy to locate those types of areas on a lowland impoundment. Want to dive into that, how you approach a pre-spawn cycle effectively in a lowland impoundment fishery. Kurt, you hit the nail on the head. You know, a deep bend or something near spawning area. In a lowland impoundment when there's not much contours where it's kind of more flat, there's some little depressions in a, in a creek channel, the closest deep water is usually going to be your best thing. Um, and how I break that down is I take a different approach where people usually start out and they work their way in. I want to go as shallow as I possibly can at first. I want to know where those spawning areas are at. Hey, where are the best spawning areas on the lake? Where are they going? And then I work from two inches 
out because that way I know I'm going to run into them. If I start at 10 feet and work my way shallower, they could have been sitting right there in 12 foot and I never even hit them. So when I start shallow and work my way out to them, at some point I'm going to run across where majority of those fish are stacked up. You're going to run into some scattered fish, but you can tell when you run into a certain depth range or a type of structure where those fish are really holding. And lowland impoundments, it's usually the first little bit of deep water. The closest deep water to a, a spawning area, and when I say deep water, I may only be talking about five feet sometimes. It's usually, I'm going to say, around five foot to 12 foot of the deepest. It's probably usually five to 10. Do you feel like, Patrick, those fish are traveling farther than they do on other types of fisheries? Because obviously you take some areas that have deep water and then where fish actually spawn a lot of times in lowland impoundments. And the amount of water that they travel is very significant, right? Or can be significant depending on the pocket you're in or the bay that you might be fishing. Do you feel like those fish travel a lot farther? And if so, how do you go about if you fish that one? one deep spot that that's located, you know, three or 400 yards from the back of a big flat, where do you look next? Is it still hopping around looking for a drain here or there? What's your approach to it? Uh, see, that is the weird thing. I do believe, that, especially in lowland impoundments, that they do move further because there's not as much contours. And I mean, the depth doesn't vary as much as they do in highland impoundments where they can be sitting in the main lake and they can pull up on that main lake point and they've already changed 30 foot of depth. And then they right. can swim to the secondary point and they're only going 200 yards where on Santee Cooper, I mean, just in general, their wintering hole, it may be a mile away. There's a couple of spots in the lower lake that they have to swim across 500 yards of a sand flat. I'm telling you, it is three feet of sand for 500 yards. I'm barren sand, nothing on it. And then all of a sudden it just drops back off in the shallows and then there's trees and then there's grass and you can go up there and you can fish all that you want to. But if they're not there, you can see up there. You There's no fish. And then all of a sudden one day, it's like a light switch. They're just, they're flooding into those trees. And so they have to swim across that flat. And so I'll check where they're coming from, where that deep water may butt up to those flats or follow those kind of contours if you can. And if they're not there, they might just not be there yet. So like I said, they're always biting somewhere. So I'm just going to run the highest percentage areas I possibly can until I run into them. And then when I've exhausted all those resources, then it's kind of time to back up and punt and go a little bit deeper or just completely change sections of the lake. A big thing that I like to do sometimes if the bite's tough and you're just not catching them, I'll pick the trolling motor up and just run five miles. I don't care if this was the best area in the lake. I'm going to run to a new lake or a different part of the lake and just get a completely different bite where the water temperature might be a little bit different. The water clarity has changed just to get a completely different feel because sometimes there's just sections of the lake that the bite dies for a day for some reason. I don't know why. That's the biggest thing in fishing. We never know the true answer for everything. Right. That's what right. keeps us fishing. That's right. Good stuff, man. We are just getting started and diving into Patrick's on-the-water expertise. Let's power pull down. We'll return right after this break to get into the nitty-gritty. Bass Edge Radio will be right back with BASS Elite Series Pro. Patrick Walters. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. 
Bass Ed's radio presented in part by ProtectTheHarvest.com returns with Elite Series angler Patrick Walters in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. Oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements. Be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping on all Lucas products. It works. Patrick, before the break, we started chatting about some of those pre-spawn locations. We might find the bass, specifically in lowland impoundments. How about some techniques you prefer to target these fish? And how does the type of hover affect the myriad of choices and technique that you'd like to use to catch the bass? Well, you know, during the pre-spawn, when you find them, they're going to be biting. And so, like I said, I try to cover as much water as I possibly can. And I start out with power fishing baits. I, I want to catch them on a crankbait or a big spinner bait, a lipless bait if possible, a bladed jig, something that you can really cover a lot of water with. Big fish eat crankbaits. Big fish eat spinner baits. I mean, those are just notorious big fish baits because that's usually you catch fish in the pre-spawn during it. And so I'm going to be throwing the spinner bait around wood, cranking around wood, cranking around rock, anything where I think those pre-spawn fish are holding. And then if I really do find the concentration of fish, that's when I'll sometimes slow down and I'll throw a jig in there and really try to pick those fish apart. And even a shaky head, a shaky head, that sucker flat out catches them. I don't care what time of year it is. I think that's the biggest misconception in fishing in general is baits for certain seasons. I think all baits catch them at all times of the year. You just got to figure out what's going to make that fish tweak a little bit. Like, what is going to trigger that fish? And all the baits do that. It's like a jerk bait. I mean, I throw a jerk bait year round, never put it down. It used to be only a wintertime bait. It is also a good pre spawn bait. I don't even know why I left that one out because I've only got about 3,000 jerk baits. So <laughs> I would definitely have that one tied on just in case. Right. Yeah. And jerk bait, like you said, all, all seasons for a jerk bait, even, you know, post spawn, shad spawn, all that wildness. There's a lot of baits, like you say, that we want to put them in seasonal categories and they, and they just really don't belong there. They're, they're good all months of the year. It's like a lipless bait. Everybody was like, oh, man, that's only a pre-spawn bait. Um, it doesn't catch them as good in the post spawn as, say, a crankbait. But I mean, in the fall, in the summertime, it's that sucker just catches them. That's probably a number one fish catching bait out there is just how many times have you seen old man just going down the bank throwing old Bill Lewis rattle trap, just slamming them? I mean, that thing's going to catch a 10-pounder somewhere. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, Patrick, once you catch a couple bass, how, how do you go about identifying a group of fish really in an area? And then also, I guess more importantly, is the best way to intercept them in their travels, right? Because we've kind of been talking a lot about pre-spawn here and, and where they're coming from to where they're going. You know, you had mentioned throwing that uh, crankbait, jerkbait, spinnerbait around, catches big fish, the rattle trap, lipless crankbait, those kinds of things. But let's say you do hook up on a couple fish. How do you know that that, okay, this is an area that I can come back to, identify, you know, the quality, those types of things as, as you're putting your uh, pieces of your puzzle together. I, I really kind of judge that by the fish, um, the quality of the fish that I've caught there. You know, if I catch one or two good ones um, and kind of how aggressive they are, you know, if you throw that bait in there and it right when you're getting the structure, bam, he just hits it. And then you throw it right in there and you catch another one. And it's like, they're pretty aggressive instead of where if you threw in there and you're like, man, there should be one right there. And then you, you keep throwing a bait in there. Well, let me pull a shaky head out, you know, or a worm. And then you throw a Carolina and then you catch one. It's probably, yeah, you probably caught that. That was a single most likely. I mean, there's probably not, Three thousand. There could be. You never know. But uh, really, just what the fish are doing of how aggressive they're biting the bait and the size of the fish. Um, if you pull up in the area and it's a windy bank and you catch one or two good ones, or if you pull in there and it was just a couple two pounders, you got to keep it in the back of your mind. You got to file it away. 
and remember it because you could go get on another pattern and then remember it, say, on day three of a tournament. Like, oh, I need to go back to that stretch. The weather conditions are the same. Really kind of just base it off the conditions, what the quality of the fish were. Like I was saying at the beginning, you got to get your instincts of just fishing as much as possible. And you gain that knowledge by just continuing fishing. And it's really it's just it's a gut feel. You know, I keep having this visual of, uh, you know, a hundred bass swimming, you know, a couple hundred feet across a sand flat between that ditch, you know, or that pre-spawn hole that you talked about earlier. And then that those, those cypress trees or or the back of the pocket that they're moving to and that that long stretch of travel they have to make in between. And then your thought process of, you know, if they're not where I thought they were and they're not in the back and, and they're just not eaten in an area, you're just going to switch areas of the lake. I want to take that one step further and kind of give uh, listeners a little bit more of a visual on what I think that you're saying in your thought processes. If they're not on that deep deal and they're not in the back, you're not going to catch them in between because there's just nowhere for those fish to set up on. Would you agree with that? I agree with that because when they get in transition, fish in transition are just, they're so hard to catch because they're constantly moving. You can't really dial them in. They're not sitting on any specific piece of structure and they're not really feeding. They are swimming. They are on a mission from A to B. Um, So it's really, it's hard to intercept them in that. But the biggest thing is like watching the weather, watching the water level, and that can help you dictate what those fish are going to do. They're just like anything else. They are predictable at times. Um, They are wild creatures, so you can't always predict them. But if the water's falling, I mean, on Santee, I'm telling you, if it falls an eighth of an inch and they were up shallow, they're leaving. They're heading right back out. I've seen it just drop that little bit, and the, you found the most spawning fish on the bed you've ever seen in your entire life, and you go back the next day and gone. <laughs> I mean, you might catch 13 pounds of bucks. I mean, I've seen some crazy days. So you got to watch the water level. Um, you got to watch the weather of, hey, is the barometric pressure going to change? You know, do we have a cold front coming in? Um, is it cloudy? Is it bluebird skies? Just kind of seeing what the weather's going to do. The water, I think, in the springtime is the biggest thing. Fish in general do three things. This is what they base their entire life on. It's their next meal. It's spawning and doing whatever they can do to survive. And what I mean by doing whatever they can to survive, if that water's falling, they're going to leave with that water because they're not going to get trapped. It's the natural instincts. If that water's rising, they're following it. I mean, if that water's running out of oxygen, they're leaving. That really doesn't happen in a lot of common situations um it happens every now and then in these tidal fisheries where there's hurricanes and stuff like that but if the water gets too hot and they are too cold they're going to adjust to survive they have that good of instinct so that's what i base my three things off of just how i'm going to find the fish you know where are they at in the spawn are they heading to the spawn or the pre-spawn or the post-spawn just kind of by you know general research online and the weather conditions and what's their main forage you know are they eating crawfish are they eating gizzard chat i mean you go to fork you're going to see some big baits compared to if you go to Sabine. I mean, you might be flipping a little cricket. So just kind of judging each fishery by its own little pace. So water level, big key for you, obviously, in lowland impoundments. Do you think that affects those fish just the same in in those, you know, take South Carolina, for example, in those upstate lakes where, you know, maybe it doesn't take a foot or two foot of water fluctuation to really affect those fish? Do you think the small fluctuation affects those fish as well? I think in the deeper reservoirs uh, i don't i don't think the water fluctuation messes with the buck bass nowhere near as much um it can drop a couple inches and the the buck bass will stay there i mean i've seen them where their fins are almost sitting out of the water it affects the females the most and that's when we're fishing for fun fishing it really doesn't matter i mean 
it's probably better for people to go catch buck bass. But in tournament situations, you have to chase the females. You have to because they are the biggest fish in the lake. So the water fluctuate, I think it does mess with them a little bit. It's going to keep them from locking down. So they're going to probably be close to the beds where you might have to just fan cast a little bit and slow down. Where in lowland reservoirs where they might completely leave and go to a depression with some brush in it or something. So each little situation is different, but I definitely think water level is a pretty big factor. Right. I'm going to date myself a little bit here. It was 2006. What grade were you in in 2006? Gosh, I couldn't even tell you. He wasn't born. Um, he I was wasn't born, born yet. <laughs> so you were 12 years old in 2006. I, I'm going to say that puts you at what, sixth grade, 12 years old? Maybe I probably six, six or seventh grade. Yep. So I was fishing a BAS Elite Series tournament in a Santee Cooper. The reason I'm taking this is because I want to get your take on water temperature, right? Everybody talks about water temperature, right? Uh, 63 degrees. That's the number that's been thrown around since, you know, the day I was born, you know, as far as spawning. Long story short is I'm at Santee Cooper. It is cold as a Dickens. Water temperatures, you know, in the high 40s, low 50s, and obviously it was a recent cold front because it typically doesn't get that cold down in in that part of the country, uh, specifically the water temperature. But the water temperature does fluctuate very quickly on lowland impoundments, which is really, really important. And Jared Littner was like, I, was, I didn't know Jared very well at the time, and, you know, we're, we're going down this bank, and I'm like, dude, it's going to be 70 degrees in two days. These fish are going to start spawning like crazy because it was just a very, very tough practice. And and those fish down there just don't eat very well in a cold water condition. And uh, anyway, water temp warms up and uh, Preston Clark sets the record in BASS, catches, you know, I don't know what it was, 108 pounds, I think at that time, uh, catching fish all beds in Utahville area, you know, back in the swamps there on Santee. Yep. Um, I had a great... I had a pretty good tournament as well. One of my biggest bags I, I weighed in at that time in my life it was, you know, mid 20 pound bag and, and all caught off the bed. Anyway, turn into a bed fest. How important is those warm ups, specifically on lowland impoundments and how fast those fish can move? Tell me what some of your experiences are being that you grew up in that environment, because it can be absolutely amazing and completely different than you know, some of those highland-type reservoirs. Absolutely. I think water temperature is definitely a factor for them around the spawn, but I think it's probably the least important of the factors. If you can get a warming trend right after a cold front, some rise in water, and on a moon phase, it's lights out, especially on Santee. It's um, where Preston Clark caught them right in the backwater pond. That, that's real black water, had lily pads in there. Those right. ponds warm up the quickest. There's no wind. There's nothing there's no refraction on the water that keeps that water from cooling down like it does on the main lake so those ponds warm up the quickest but when you can get a little bit of rise in water those fish are going to follow it a little bit of warm in water and then when you get that moon phase i think the moon phase definitely affects the spawn 100 percent. a full moon a new moon any of that it's the gravitational pull i don't have the scientific reasoning of why I just know the bite gets good if everything's right. You can have a full moon and say the you had a cold front come through and the water's dropping a little bit. The bite's not going to be good. Um, it's not a cure-all, but if you can get all the variables put together, it was like it was in 2006. It's going to be lights out. Um, that was an absolutely 
unbelievable tournament too. So you were obviously into bass fishing at that time, still following following the events and all that kind of good stuff. I wasn't huge. I, that was the first year I fished my first tournament, um, okay. and I, I fished a Fishers of Men Legacy with a buddy of mine, Bradford Beavers, who actually fishes yes. FLW now. He's right here local, and uh, we duck hunted together, his family and my family. And uh, he said he just turned 18. And so the legacy, Fishers of Men Legacy, it's an adult junior format. And he always fished with his dad. And now he needed a junior and he invited me. And I think I was like 11 or 12. And I was like, sure, I'll fish. I've never tournament bass fished, right. pond fished. And I actually grew up saltwater fishing inshore and offshore. And I showed up the first tournament with five spinning rods and he laughed at me. <laughs> and uh, I'm, awesome. I'm telling you, it was just that first tournament blast off. When everybody was cranking those two strokes up and just the smell of it, the blast off. I mean, it was like, this is America. I mean, for old time, I mean, we're going fast fishing, <laughs> yes, you know? Sir. I mean, yes, I was hooked from that day. I can vividly still remember that one day. I'm telling you, it gives you chill bumps. One yes. day of fishing. Thank goodness Bradford didn't kick me to the curb because, I mean, <laughs> it, it would have definitely been a different story. Yeah. Old Bradford, he can catch a, he can catch a fish or two. <laughs> I tell you. Out of anybody, especially in the state of South Carolina, if I'm fishing a tournament, I don't care if it's Kevin Van Dam. I don't care who it is. Like, I don't ever compete against the people in the in the tournament, ever. I don't look at it. I don't care. I'm always competing against the fish. If you can beat the fish, you're going to have a good day. That's all you got to do is just focus on fishing. But holy cow, Bradford's going to freaking catch him. And <laughs> I'm telling you, he makes me nervous because he taught me a good bit about fishing. And uh, so it's like Bradford's going to freaking catch him always uh fun stuff and he didn't realize he created a monster when uh when he took you out that day but patrick so (laughs) anyway um hey last question here on a sometimes tough springtime situation on a lowland impoundment when the bass make really a a move to spawn what are keys to catching them effectively when you know the water is not clear enough to sight fish i'd say know where they're going that's the biggest thing if you can find out the general areas you know just the high percentage the backwater areas, you know, something that's protected from the north to northeast wind. Um, that way, the water is a little bit warmer there. Um, you can tell just the general spawning areas. If you can get in the right area, then it's just to slow down and pick it apart. And when from pre-spawn to spawn is the completely base go out of the window. You better throw the rattle trap, the crankbait away. It's time to pull out the plastic, pull out a stick bait, old fluke stick, and just pick the area apart. It's a quick change. I mean, there's days when you're fishing for pre-spawn and you're throwing all those power baits and, you know, you've been crushing them the last two days and all of a sudden you cannot get a bite. And you do not know what happened. You're like, yesterday the conditions are the same. What happened? There's a good chance they've started to move and they're focusing on the spawn and they're locking down and you're just fishing right over top of them. So the biggest thing I would say is have a good idea of where they're going, um, just the high percentage areas, and then slow down and pick it apart. Good deal. All right, guys, we're going to jump into listener question. This portion of our episode presented by Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Justin sent in this interesting question uh, after talking about lowland impoundments for the entire interview. We're going to dive into a drop shot question, right? So this is going to be Ooh, cool. I like it. <laughs> All right. So Justin says, I'm fishing rocky lakes with very little vegetation or cover. My drop shot weights often get stuck and break off. I'm guessing the weights are getting stuck under the rocks or in between them. What am I doing wrong? Sounds like Justin's going through a lot of money. Let's help him out. Is there a specific shaped 
weight, he asks, that works best in and around rocks? Patrick, what you got for him? That's a good question. Uh, my biggest philosophy is if you're not getting hung up, you're not fishing in the right area. So, Justin, you are in the right area. Um, and there's three different main types of drop shot weights. You know, you have the ball, uh, a teardrop, and then a cylinder. I predominantly just throw cylinder. Um, just the normal long tapered cylinder drop shot weight. And I actually still throw a lot of lead because you're going to pop off a bunch and uh, it definitely costs a lot less money. If you can throw lead in your state, um, I know Vermont, you can only throw tungsten. I'm here in South Carolina. We don't have any laws against it, but uh, I throw a lot of lead, but cylinder is my favorite shape to throw. And if you are starting to pop off a bunch, the biggest thing I can say is if I was getting hung up a bunch, you probably are getting wedged in the rocks. I would go to a lighter weight. That way you can kind of tick it over top and kind of let the water naturally move your bait and you're not down there just grinding the rocks and wedging. So I tried downsizing and playing with that a little bit. You can play with line size, maybe go up a little bit. You know, if you're throwing eight pounds, go to 10. If you're throwing 10, go to 12. If you're throwing 12, go to 25. Sometimes it doesn't matter. <laughs> I know a guy on Tate, he actually drop shots with straight braids. I do not suggest that at all. Um, I don't know how he catches them. He still does. Which, when somebody like that tells me that, I'm like, it literally, it, it hurts your brain. Because right. you're like, how, why? So the biggest thing I could say is just kind of downsize the weight a little bit. Go from a three-eighths to a quarter and, and so on. All right, good stuff, Patrick. Uh, sounds like he needs to perhaps go to a cylinder weight and then also downsize. Keep from getting uh, stuck in the rocks as much. But uh, Patrick, appreciate you helping out Justin with that question. Justin, you know the drill. Please log on to BassEdge.com. Click the Claim Your Prize tab. Fill out the information and we will get the Bass Edge gift sent directly to you. And as always, keep firing in those questions. No matter what they are, we'll figure out a way to get them on the show just like we did today and uh, shoot those questions in through the website, BassEdge.com. Simply click the Ask the Pros tab to have a shot of winning a gift from Bass Edge Radio. Um, you can also email us, support at BassEdge.com, or leave us a comment on our social media handles. So lots of ways to uh, get your question answered right here on Bass Edge Radio. Well, Patrick, it was uh, fantastic to have you on the show, raising our fishing IQ. And uh, as we shut down, any closing thoughts or, or words for the listeners? Uh, the biggest thing is just everybody go have fun, you know, with fishing. If you're not enjoying it, then you better find something else to do. But everybody get out there, go fishing, have a great time, be safe. Um, and enjoy it. That's the biggest thing, you know, take your kid out there. And it, it's just really about having fun and enjoying the outdoors. Um, and that's what we're all in it here for. So that's really all I got. And thank you guys for having me. You bet. That's why we do this podcast. And I enjoyed our chat today. Uh, I'm sure that, as Aaron mentioned earlier, we're all better anglers for it. Um, all the best, man, this year in, in the tournament season. If you could rehash last year, then uh, 2021 will be Patrick Walter's year once again, and that, that would not be a bad thing to see, I know, from your bank account as well. So uh, good luck out there, man. We'll be pulling for you. Bass Edge will return after this short break. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. 
developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, FlexStep Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Be at home with nature, with nature-inspired art, decor, and gifts by Wild Wings at wildwings.com. Explore art prints and canvas wraps of bass, trout, walleye, muskie, and more by acclaimed artists like Mark Sassino. I primarily paint underwater scenes of game fish, and usually in a fishing situation, going after prey or going after a lure or a fly. I get asked sometimes whether I like fishing better or artwork. It would be tough to give either of them up. I can't really think of a good reason to give either up, so I'm going to stick with them. Make your home, office, or cabin show off your passion for angling. Visit wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge and sign up for an exclusive offer to Bass Edge listeners of 10% off your next order. Give something special to your loved one and be at home with nature. Visit wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge. That's wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge to get 10% off your next order of nature-inspired art, decor, and gifts by Wild Wings. Aaron, but that was an easy interview. You know, I, I've never talked to Patrick at all and, uh, you know, obviously followed him for, for several years. And, uh, man, he's, dude, it was a delight. I'll leave it at that. It was a delight. Enjoyed talking with him. Thought he had some great tips for all of us. And um, if I could expound on any one thing like we typically do here in this kind of closing segment of the show, sometimes it's difficult to find those differences on the lowland impoundments. And it may take some driving around to do. It's not always just going to be easy like it is on a highland impoundment or a typical reservoir where you find the deep channel bend or, or the secondary point that the fish are holding on before moving back into, you know, a spawning cut or spawning bay. Um, so don't be afraid to move around on lowland impoundments to find that small, sweet spot, you know, that, that area that is textbook. Because I feel like otherwise you can get caught in that between zone, right? You know, Patrick talked about the fish moving from, you know, that pre-spawn location and how far it can be to get to that spawning location. And if you get caught up in that between zone, you're really not somewhere a fish is going to set up. So um, be cognizant of that and uh, use the big motor on those big lowland impoundments and uh, it'll, it'll help your fishing for sure. Yeah. Um, great point, Kurt. You know, the, the limited experience that I've had on them, like you had mentioned earlier, sometimes you're just looking for uh, perhaps a uh, depth is a, is a relative term, right? And sometimes it's it's four, five, six inches perhaps. And you might have to cover a lot of water to be able to do that. So I think that's great advice. And certainly, again, I second you on, in thanking uh, Patrick for carving out time for us. But we have reached the end of episode 346. March 1st is right around the corner, which we will have another stacked episode. Kurt will have lined up for us. But in the meantime, be sure to check out BassEdge.com, all the videos that's on there the articles certainly the bass edge store free shipping on lucas products and certainly through our social media so for kurt dove and the rest of the bass edge crew i am aaron martin
So long, everybody. The Edge is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.